joining us on another episode of the Everything Is Earned podcast. We are the Everything Cleveland team, and my name is Mike. And I am Tim, the co-host. And we're going to break down everything going on in your Cleveland sports world, and we're going to start with the Browns today. The Browns go into Foxborough and obviously don't get it done and start the year uh, going 2-5. Two it all started with the first quarter, first uh, first series of, of the game. Nick Chubb, crazy, crazy play. This this super unorthodox, valuable. You're not gonna see it probably another day in this time, this season, maybe even this decade. You have Joel Petonio tries to pancake his 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 uh, assignment, and his leg kicks up as Nick Chubb is running by him. Nick Chubb it hits the ball. He dies in like loses it, and then, what was it, Deontay Hightower picks it up and returns it for the score? Yeah, scoop and score. And then uh, the next possession, uh, Nick Chubb gets a great run. I think Huge it's stripped in the, 35, like the five-yard 35 line. yards. And then, yeah, he didn't switch the ball over to his left hand. The guy catches up to him and makes a, a, just a perfect punch on the ball. And then finally, Baker does the, uh, the, the old, shuffle pass to the defender. And this, this, that's not my teammate. The little, little shuffle to the wrong guy. Um, three, for, uh, first quarter, not first half, first quarter, I mean first half, but first quarter turnovers. Just kind of, another once again, the Browns are just stabbing themselves in the, in the back. Uh, stabbing themselves in the foot. In the back? In the foot. I, yeah, I hate when I stab myself it's, in the back. It's, it's the worst. Yeah, shooting himself in the foot. So mean to myself. Um, continuously. And it's just real upsetting because you're a team that's stacked with talent, and I'm quite frankly just sick of hearing about how talented we are and how we're not producing. And what we need to do every week. We know what we need to do. The fans probably know just as well as the coaches. I mean, the, some some fans will probably tell us, like, go in there and, and direct them to tell them what to do. All right, don't turn the ball over. Come out strong. Um, secure assignments and and this and did the ball to your playmakers. Stop I mean, we penalties. <laughs> yeah, we we got healthy too. Uh, Drudy Williams and 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 Denzel Ward looked good early on. They they definitely sh- uh, showed up some of the the problems that we were having in the first six weeks, and that and our defense was holding despite all these turnovers. And we go into half set what seven to seventeen with getting the ball back. Mm-hmm. Here's here's what really annoys about this game is because I was looking at it, I was looking at the Browns players, I was paying particular attention to the faces, their body language, what they were doing on the field, and they didn't look like they were defeated after being down 17 nothing. They didn't feel like they were out of the game, and they proved that and drove down and, and brought the game back within striking distance, and then they just couldn't execute when it came when it came time to it, and it, it was upsetting because they were winning the battle at the line of scrimmage. They were they were getting pushed for Chubb, and they were. And they were getting in Brady's face, and Chubb was making plays as he as he done all year, all, all, since last year. Um, and yeah, you just shoot yourself in the foot with those early fumbles and that that early uh, stupid little shuffle interception. And I don't think that was the key of the game, though. Like you go in the half, you have the ball, you have a chance to put it up, you know, put it down by, it. by one score. You know, you, no, we didn't do the field goal. Yeah, so I'm saying like you yeah. you have a chance to to get a field goal in the half. Then you have a chance at the second half yeah, to start off yeah. and, and, and get on the board and, and get it back within one score, and you just don't execute. And, you know, it, this game felt kind of odd because, again, it, I think it came down to a screenplay that really broke your back again. 
He gave up that big, what was it, like 49-yard screenplay? To, to James White, yeah, in the third quarter. And Steve Wilkes just kept blitzing Brady, like, thinking they weren't going to adjust. Like, and he did back-to-back screenplays. I don't know what the heck, like, you were expecting to get out of that. And like, then there was a really bizarre play where, um, actually, it was, a, it was kind of a, it was all in one play. You had, you had Miles Jarrett, uh, who did a spin move off of, off of his defender and, and tried to, tried it to, to Tom Brady in the second level as Tom Brady was trying to escape. And he gets, like, tackled from behind. And then, and then on top of that, if you look at the play as well, we'll have it in the, in the description below on this display. And then you have Eric Murray leaving his assignment and uh, to go blitz Tom Brady like he's gonna pick up like a touchdown or ten, like a fullest down like was it a seven eight yard uh, fullest no, down and that balls. left left Schobert open and and ultimately gave um, Julian Edelman his second touchdown of the game. All right, why we're talking about that? I'm so sick of Joe Schobert. I'm just so over him. Like. He just—he's so upsetting to me. He—he's he's on an slower than molasses, bro. He—he he works in the three-four. He works in the four-three. But being one of the only two linebackers, and he has so much ground cover, and also on top of his, his assignments as a captain, um, yeah, he just doesn't—he just doesn't have the speed. I don't think he has that athletic ability. All the intangibles, I think, out there. It just—he's so slow. You might even have to move him to, to defensive end. To me, when we talk about players that like that like. That have all the, the the things necessary except for the physical ability that like makes you not worthy of that athletic position. ability. There are plenty of, of of slow linebackers out there, but it it's um it's not as exposed in a three four or four three where they have plenty of help around them. But and the Browns just need to do something at linebacker badly. In his in help, this in this defense scheme, uh, Steve Wilkes' defensive scheme, I don't think he fits. He might actually be one of those players you move um, uh, before the trade deadline, before the, the Tuesday trade trade deadline. You trade Schobert, that'd be wild. I don't know if you can get away with Speaking that. Speaking of camera, that's. All I don't can. know if you can get away with that. I really don't know. I think um, I think if you do something in the trade deadline, you get some offensive line help, and you gotta get a linebacker. Speaking of, I'm calling I'm calling the uh, the Falcons. Like yesterday for anyone on their on their uh, offensive linebacking line. core. Speaking of offensive line, uh, Justin McCray uh, subbed in at, at uh, was put in at, at the starting left tackle position for um, Greg Robinson, and for the first probably three quarters, maybe two and a half, he played he played a pretty good game, uh, giving big opportunities, and he I think he was effective. Um, he you noticed in in the run game, but as as the Browns kind of got a little bit more desperate as the game went on, you saw the line kind of deteriorate and their kind of patience kind of grow grow thin. And yeah, kind of, I I'm just kind of I'm just kind of done with with the excuses that we have right now. And today's game really upset me in in regards to our coaching. Our coaching just did not cut it. And I don't think like Bill Belichick was like real, like, shifty or doing anything crazy. He didn't. I like, think they were overmatched talent-wise. I think, I think Baker knew that. I think, I think some of the, the defense early on knew that. And then, and then we just shot ourselves in the foot. Like, I repeatedly. Don't, I, I honestly yeah, like, I don't think we have a foot anymore. This is going to sound else. super ignorant, but I don't think the Patriots have as much talent on the roster as the Browns do. It's not ignorant. I mean, I, I, I think everyone I knows that. I mean, outside of I mean, Brady, but Brady's, like, Brady's having a mediocre season. But I think like they're just they're just so disciplined that like even when they're not great they're still great. And it all comes out of coaching. 
They've had the same coach, and they've had an elite coach for over 20 years, right? Or 22 years, just like Tom Brady? They're just like... The, I think this Patriots team just waits for you to make mistakes. Like, they're just... They just play well enough and, to, and we'll wait for you to make mistakes. And then once you make mistakes, it's over. Well, right? I think we talked about that um, on Friday. We talked about they, they force you to make... They, they're so fundamental... They just wait for you to make the mistake, and then they attach it. They attach that wound. Capitalize it, yeah. And they, 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 they throw salt or, or lemon or citrus or whatever in the, in yeah, the wound. Yeah, it's like it's like in UFC when you start when you start beating up the body. And you get dazed. Then then you know then you know they're gonna they're gonna leave their their weak side open. Come out with the roundhouse. They're guarding their body. So roundhouse tits, roundhouse punches. Yeah. Yep, yep. And that's exactly feel, what they, they did. And I just, I just it's, it's, the coaching is just upsetting to me. I just think. That when you come off a bye week, you shouldn't be penalized nearly as much as they were. I think when you come off a bye week, you should you should not have these type of turnovers. And then the most the most frustrating thing to me is like the just things you can control. So there's those two challenges that Freddie had, but they were just brutally bad. I was real upset about the one that he he tried to do the uh, the not pass interference because those are basically oh well, yeah breaking down. The first one was throwing was... away the cha- a challenge. The first one was an offensive uh, pass interference challenge, correct? No, second one. Second one. What was the first one? The first one was a, a challenge of the spot, and they didn't even measure, which was the crazy thing. They didn't measure at all, and it was bad defense to begin with. You had the wrong amount of guys lined up, and you didn't, uh, like, on that side of the ball. You looked at the, the formation, and you go, oh, there's two. The numbers. You just looked at the numbers. It's three to two. We don't have enough guys to cover those guys. So they just did it all hitches, and then someone was open. So they just spread out, and, and, and yeah, then you had a guy open for the it. The slot guy was open. Yeah, as long as Brady put the ball where he was supposed to, it would have been fine. Yeah, that's what happened. And then the second one was a offensive penalty in, in the fans. Yeah, right? it was a pick play, and he did it past the one-yard line. And it, it was and it was an offensive pass interference in that, you know, in that regard. So... I just thought that would, you know that was a little ridiculous. That and the analytics has challenged been, that. I think the analytics on the the season is like, what is it the it's the first super one? Low. It's, it's so. I think low. out of like twenty three attempts, I think they've only. I think coaches who who challenged it only won one. Well, well, prior to Freddie's challenge, the last twenty three people were were not overturned. Twenty three, yeah, uh, in a row. That did not. Yes. Basically, the NFL made this rule up, and then no, then realized it was a horrible rule, and then pretty much made the decision collectively to not overturn these calls. To yeah, it made it stand every time. It's so dumb. Like it's basically a wasted challenge, and the analytics and the coaching supports that. And Freddie, I'm sure, knows those analytics and knows that that was a dumb call. But what are you gonna do? You're just gonna make dumb. I think decisions. what I've seen, uh, uh, what I've noticed as a pattern, I think is. When the coaching's supposed to be dis, oh, like when your players get fl- starting to get flustered or angry, um, I and they start making the, like the poor decisions. I think I only think our, our players do that that um that much. I think we we fight hard and we we fight till the end. Um, majority of the time, probably excluding the Forty Nineers game, uh, this season. But I think Freddie Kitchens kind of gets scared and starts like, kind of just a little shaky from his game plan and starts doing. Very like abnormal, unorthodox things for head coaching to do. I think that those two penalties specifically were interesting. I think uh, there's another instance where he it was fourth and eleven. Uh, the and, game was over at this point in the fourth and eleven. Okay, yeah, we were down what uh, two th- scores, thirteen to twenty-seven. Yeah, ten. It, it might have been ten to twenty-seven at that point, and yeah, fourth and eleven, and 
he bought his, his 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 playing team, and apparently he went, ran down the clock and got the got the false up penalty on purpose, so that he can pick a play for fourth and sixteen. Shouldn't you already know what the play is going to be if you know yeah. if you know it's fourth and eleven? You should have. Why you should have add you, five yards to you. What you you have should to do. have have a set of plays. That, all right, if it's this instance, these are a few plays, and if we don't like what we're looking at, we're not audible out of it and, and do something else. You had to go for it just in case you get a miracle. But you should definitely have a play in in mind for eleven yards. But then the worst part about it is is execution of the the fourth and sixteen play. I think there was a swing out to the left with Baker. Or like uh, he immediately left the pocket. He ended up being sacked, and he fell on the bad hip that that he injured in the Seahawks game. I and I'm like, that's hip. what you need. I thought he hurt his shoulder. I think it was his hip, because he landed. I think it was the same side of his hip. Because he landed sideways, on, like in the defender. It didn't look like he felt good. No, and at that point in the game, why why did your your quarterback hurt? Like he's mentioned, like a couple, I think it was a few games ago. How? Oh, maybe it was early on in the year. Um, that he's just not finished the games out with his quarterback. That's yeah. an NFL thing across the board, though. All NFL coaches do that. No, not all of them. Uh, Blow, often, when games are over, they're maybe on the blow, losing side. Yeah, I could, but if you're on the losing side, you typically finish those games out. That's that's how that's, that's NFL common practice. Yeah, I I don't like it. I with, didn't with mind Baker being in there. Baker. I just thought that you adding five yards to to try to get a fourth down is is stupid. It's just one of the main things that you can add to the to the very. Um, Frustrating season it's been so far, and, and both as as a whole and and specifically from the coaching staff. I mean, the only positives you have. I mean, there's not only the only there's positives. A few, there's, there's a, a few lot points. of positives taken in this game, but it just it just clouded with you know another missed opportunity. Well, okay, let's shift from all the negativity and all the the sadness that we're feeling right now, and and focus on the positives. So there are a few. But we'll start on the offensive side with uh, Nick Chubb. What do you like about Nick Chubb after the the back-to-back fumbles happened? I thought Nick Chubb, I think Nick Chubb on a weekly basis looks better and better. I think he ran with patience. I think he had great vision. And I think he was uh, able to to get great yardage after contact, which is awesome. Which he's done since entering the lead, before the lead. Um, and he's just sustained that. But I, I, I think the thing that we we noticed this this week particularly is his patience. Is I don't think he's particularly been a a impatient running back, but I think he like went to like an elite level. Like you know how Le'Veon Bell is praised for his patience. He I think looked like he that looked like he was today. like almost walking in the back in the backfield to wait for his hold, and he snapped at him. Yeah, he trusted his line a lot. And he also did a great job of just of just understanding where the holes were going to be. And, and like you said, he, he looked like he was walking at times just to figure out where the hole was and then hit it hard. Yeah, and, and I think he's trusting his ability more and more. And he's like, wow, like I, can, I, I, I know what I did on these moves. I know I can either break through some of these, some of these tackles or, or, um, or get to the second level um, past that, that, um, that the defensive line. And... Just, I think, I think the weather definitely played in the factor with those fumbles. Like I said, the first one was just an absolutely crazy play, and the second one, I think he's gonna watch the film and realize that he just switched it over to his outside, uh, or just, there. or just tucked it in a little harder. Or he could, yeah, just wrapped it with both hands. I thought he thought he was gonna score though. I think so. Normally, not not many people, uh, 
not many uh, players catch can catch Nick Chubb once he once he gets out in front of the pack. One of the things I really liked about uh, his performance today was was he he was getting chunks every time he got he was averaging six and a half a carry. And well, he had he, had, he, had, he only had twenty carries. Can you believe that? Twenty carries for one hundred thirty one yards. Yeah, it was a pretty yeah. good game uh, for only having twenty carries. I mean, twenty carries is a lot, but like. He averaged six and a half a carry, like for an elite running back. That's that's, that, that's a that's a little bit low, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a lot though. A six and a half a carry. That's great. That's great production. So I mean, he's been doing that for most of the year. His ability to bounce back after those those plays was uh, was outstanding. I really I really did think he was gonna gonna go all the way at the end there. I don't know if he ran out of steam because he he ran through a couple people to get I, that I also that think, long run going. I also thought that maybe he he believes his wide receiver was going to do it. I think his receiver was like. Stride to stride with him, and like I don't know if the his his the blocker couldn't him do behind. anything, Keep but him he had no yeah. idea the guy was there. Yeah, but um, I like the improved offensive line. I think Baker for the most part doing a better job of of understanding where to go in the pocket. I still think we saw in the second half instead of like realizing that he can't get out of save the pocket and just throw the ball away. I I want to pull up a stat that I don't think Baker Mayfield like throws the ball away. Much at all since I know he really league. doesn't. Um, um, I think he needs he, to learn from Brady and throw in the ground more. He, yes, yes, and just throws that at his receivers or his running backs' feet. Um, I think he takes some unnecessary sats, and especially when he's injured like that, I don't think he needs to do that. Um, but there was a few. There also were a few um, positive signs on the defensive side. We did get our starting corners back, Grady Williams and Denzel Ward. Greedy looked good um, in coverage. He was aggressive, um, maybe a little bit over aggressive sometimes, and along with Denzel Ward. Um, Denzel Ward is so great with his hands. He he disguises like his physicality like with the like uh, in like in stride with the receiver, and and just kind of knows when he's allowed to get away with like uh, hand checking and, and some grabbing. Yeah. And then and then this and it let go right right when they're looking. Um, I think Greedy Williams kind of sort of like. Not exposing, but he did. Greedy Williams did a great job on like the, down the sidelines a couple times. I thought he looked pretty good today. And he's trying to debunk that that um that idea that he's not a good tackler. He had a few great uh yeah, tackles in open space um on a couple uh, wide receiver bubble screens. Yeah, so he, that was he nice looked, to see. So that, I like Greedy. It was so the healthy going into next week. I don't even know what's going on next week. Playing Denver. Denver. Um, what two and six Denver? I think they're not good. They lost Bradley Chubb and they traded away Emmanuel Sanders. And then Joe Flacco just this way oh this 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 lit up the head coach for for being a being a sissy and not calling enough aggressive play calling down the stretch. It's awesome. I love yeah. it. Joe Flacco's a bomb. So I think I think we we might with the banged up defense we might have better defense than them. And if we come out and play already, I think we would this game for the most part and just had some crazy stuff happen. Um, I just thought you had an opportunity today to get a signature win. And and you and you didn't want to be able to capitalize. Right, kind of upsetting. But one of the other things that I, I know, we're, which we talked about positive. One of the other things that was kind of noticeable today was it looked like OBJ was was actually frustrated and like he was showing it in some of his body language. I mean, he dropped the pass. He was definitely frustrated with that whole fourth down and eleven nonsense. They panned the camera on him, and he was like, "What the hell is this nonsense?" Well, I I'd be mad too. Like that's just that's just a head scratching play. This makes you lose a little faith in your coach. There. Like I don't think I don't think he he got any support on that one. Um, but I, I don't know. It just it just the game the game was it had a funny feel to it. I thought 
that you know they, they stuck in and played hard, but you just have to execute on a higher level. And when you play the Patriots, you gotta be you gotta be real quick. You gotta be flawless. You gotta be near flawless. I don't think you gotta be near flawless. We gotta be you gotta play crisper than they did. Tell me out the date. You gotta be flawless, and that's and that's what we did. Uh, I think. I think establish the tone early. I think over the last two seasons, or it's, I want to say it's it's over a long period of stretch. I think the Patriots in in Gillette are at seventy and seven when leading after the first quarter. I think. Yeah, they're, they're ups, silly absurd. good. They're silly good. One of the um one of the things that so yeah um, yeah come out fast. Yeah, one of the things that was uh that that's really interesting about this game is is the Patriots' offense isn't that good this year. So if you had came out and and stuck with them. You would have given yourself a chance to win, you know. I mean, they still had a chance to win, but you would have had a better chance to win had you stuck in there. Because you might even have a lead going to the second half, into yeah. the second half, or late, well, like into the fourth, if you would have put up some points. Um, so if we look over um, some of our, our kind of our, our keys to victory that we did, that we did um, Saturday, um, there was a few that that like kind of lined up when we got right, and then the rest just didn't happen. Um, like run the the offense through Nick Chubb, uh, scoring the red zone. We 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 scored a touchdown to uh Demetrius Harris. We had a couple of field goals, but um the turnovers played us. We didn't win the turnover uh battle at all. Um, I think we did respond to adversity. Just adversity hit us so hard in that game, and we just turned back uh uh turned back from it. And we also for the point toss. That was like a little little. Well, kind of a weird strategic um, idea we had in there, and kind of funny went along with us. It's, it's like the same it's idea. like a standard way to play football. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so it didn't work out. We're gonna move on. We're gonna get ready for the next game. But we we definitely uh, we definitely have our frustrations, and we'd love to hear you guys' frustrations as well. We're uh, starting definitely. to see some like the same thing week in week out. And yeah. I think that's what's the most irritating. Part. I just don't like that you that you have these bad habits that are that are now not one offs, they're now habits. That uh, yeah, it's it's upsetting. That's yeah. upsetting. Okay, so moving on to the Cavs because I'm not done with these Browns at the moment. They they did not lose. The Cavs won their season opener, and you know how they won their season opener, Tim? Coaching, coaching, coaching. Kevin Love, Kevin Love, coaching, and Tristan Thompson. There's, there's... <laughs> Kevin Love coaching Tristan Thompson and Darius Garland. Was that keep on adding one? After. Kevin Love coaching. Darius Garland and Tristan Thompson, Tristan Thompson and um and and ball movement. <laughs> ball movement. There we go. Yeah, there we go. So the, the Cavs won their season opener, uh, honoring Fred McLeod and the uh, and, and all he did for the Cavs organization. They had a great uh, a great video they showed. They had the, the whole tie thing to honor him with the with the signature ties that that his uh, his wife. From his and, and passed out from his personal collection. Very cool. Um, they asked fans that, that they wanted to join in. They could wear their ties as well to the game, which is kind of a fun, a fun thing to do to help support. Uh, but it was a great night. I thought. I thought that Kevin Love came out strong early. You know, was got got in rhythm, and uh, they made the defense understand that he could he could hurt him. And then he, when that happened, it opened up the rest of the offense. I think he realized, or like, or got back to the idea that he is. The best player on the floor, or one of the best, and definitely the best uh, on the Cavs side of the floor. And that we can we uh, night in night out that he's going to be one of those best players on that court. And it showed in in his presence, his with on the on the uh, rebounding, 
uh, scoring and some team moments, especially down the stretch where he had a few buckets. And his passing, passing his connection, he had nine assists. He almost had a triple-double last night. His passing was elite. He had some of those dump-offs to Thompson that were like, He, he squeezed okay. him in there. He had a few nice ones. But they looked, yeah, that connection between Thompson and, and Kevin Love looked really nice, especially with uh, Tristan Thompson's new confidence in his offensive game. And just the overall uh, chemistry over the last five years, uh, I think I think the like the those little alleyoops Tristan Thompson um, has become a bread and butter, especially with Delhi and and Dar- actually now Darland is starting to touch on. But Tristan rolls hard, man. He rolls hard and he, and he can elevate. He sets great screens. He sets great screens. Great that, screens. that helps too. That absolutely helps in the pick and roll game. So what I really liked about about what we saw in this game was the coaching adjustments that you saw from the opener to today. It was amazing because I thought that uh, John Beeline understood by looking at the film what things he could do to improve. And the first thing I want to note is that he closed quarters, he closed three of the four quarters with Garland on the floor, and he closed three of the four quarters with Kevin Porter on the floor. And that was really interesting to me because I think when you put guys in there that can that can make plays – and you can put a guy in there like Porter, who's who's long and lanky and athletic. It, it makes it harder to have those little spurts in the quarters because he's gonna he's gonna um, he's gonna make people shy away with his and defensive he's gonna, ability. He's gonna find a rhythm too. Once you keep on putting him at the end of quarters along with Garland, who who's a great facilitator and and draws people in and and shakes them up a little bit with his ball handling, give him a little bit easier look. Just like if you paired um, Kevin Love and Clarkson. Kevin Love is going to free up Clarkson to do his thing a little bit more. And it's also going to do it vice versa. Yeah, his rotation uh, on the opener was awesome. I thought he did a really nice job from game one to game two. We spaced out Sexton and Garland a little bit more. That was well well appreciated, which in turn also signals to you something very important here. If he's going to space out Sexton and Garland on game two, so there's something in the film that says those two cannot be on the floor together. Well, I think I think it adds on to our beef with Setson. We saw last year, so if Larry Drew refused to play uh, Plotson and Setson, I think it was like pretty much after I want to say mid-season he stopped doing it because the statistics were absolutely atrocious. But if, yeah, if, if Larry Drew can figure out that they don't belong to each other and John Beeline is noticing that Garland uh, and Setson... Uh, can't t- play together. What what what's who? What's the one thing in common in both of those scenarios? Colin Sexton, and I think what I'm gonna start figuring out is is or oh, like as a as a kind of a community as in this ta- uh, Cleveland Cavaliers community, we're gonna figure out that Colin Sexton doesn't fit this basketball team. You can't keep making uh, everything a- about you arrangements and and adjustments to fit one player. It's just not how you win basketball games or how you form a team. You don't make you don't make uh, different adjustments and uh, accommodations for a player that doesn't want it with their skill. And an average player currently who who has the potential to be a, to be a good player or above average player uh, for the long run, but hasn't shown that yet or hasn't shown that on a consistent basis, especially mm-hmm. within this team. And I think if you say that the the Cavs don't have they don't, they don't have a good fit, the team's not a good fit for each other. I don't think that's the right way of saying it because I think you have to take out the specific players. It's not that the entire team doesn't gel well. I think uh, with the addition of John Henson, even though you're injured, I think him being that shot blocker instead of giving a little bit more minutes to 
to Lily Nance at the center, um, I think I think the fit is starting to take shape. I think John Beeline knows what to do with his personnel. And if, if Sexton is one of those players that doesn't fit it, then you can't just blow up the rest of your team or blow up like the structure of or in, like um scheme of your offense for that player. I think ultimately at the end of the day, Sexton's gonna either end up on the Cavs come off the Cavs bench he's or a, he's going to end up being traded. Well he's gonna have to change or he's gonna be gone. You're gonna pick one of those two things. You're gonna pick him as a bench player and you have to accept that role or two, he's gonna he's gonna be getting traded for something. And some team who thinks he's more than than what he is. What are we following the storyline? I think this is something to watch throughout the year. I mentioned it in the last couple of podcasts. I still believe it to be true. And as the season goes on, we're gonna either see Sepson chains look inwards and try to fix what's going on, or or he's gonna stay stubborn and the team is gonna have to team, uh, John Beeline and Kobe Altman's gonna have to do something. What you're gonna run into here is. Is you have a team that's all buying in, but you have you have a player that you have to make more than more than you need to do for accommodations. And I love John Beeline's system. I'm not saying by any means that Colin Sexton doesn't have talent. What what my what my what my problem with Sexton is is that he lacks basketball IQ, and basketball IQ at the NBA level is everything. Look at a guy like this is a crazy example. But look at a guy does. look at a guy like like. Uh, um, uh, I got his... a few off my head. What are you thinking of? I'm thinking of Andrew Wiggins. I'm thinking of Dion Waiters. I'm thinking Kent Bazemore. Uh, sure, Kent Bazemore and Jamal Crawford are a three or four or five guys that come to mind, and who have the ability or the potential to be straight studs, to be straight year in year out all stars, but they lack something in the brain that transfers from their knowledge to the basketball court to help them use their athletic ability and the potential skills to benefit them at that at a higher a level as a, as a player. I was thinking about Swaggy P. Nick Young, okay. Now I was yeah. about Nick Young, because Nick oh, Young's yeah, yeah. super talented. Okay, you can say Nick Young and JaVale like, McGee, too. He did, um, and yeah, JaVale McGee, I just, I, just, I just put them all in the same category. Remember, like, remember JaVale McGee? So much talent, like the, but no basketball IQ. Remember JaVale McGee, like the first and second year with the Wizards, when he entered the gun contest and did that two-handed basketball dunk? And he's, like, during that time, I think it was right before it, he was blocking everything, he has these crazy dunks. He looked like he looked like potential not maybe not potential defensive player of the year, but like a very, very good defensive player and an up and comer. And then and then the Shaft in a full talent I think Shaft in a full talent opens up some of those players that don't have good basketball IQs and you saw seeing exposes these them. exposes <laughs> them on, on that national media platform. Yeah, we knew basically Miguel McGee had a whole highlight reel to himself on Shaq in a fool. Like just not great. Like he like Shaq like I did like year end like Javel McGee highlights for Shaq. I mean it should have been it should have been Shaq and uh, like uh, Medea. <laughs> yeah, not great. Not well, great. Medea in a fool. Like, I just I just want to see him improve his basketball IQ. Okay, so that's, that's, what we, that's, what we, that's been our primary beef with Setson since entering the lead. That's what all we've been talking about. Like, people have, you guys have a problem with us hating on Setson, but it's just a basketball IQ thing. So if he works on that and he understands uh, how he can help the team better rather than himself, I think, then then that's what we're looking for. I just enjoy being right for one night about the Cavs. Or and, just Cleveland. And, 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 getting, and getting the win. Because I thought that they were, I thought they were, they're, and I think they're a better team than people think they are. I think you're going to start to see that because of the coaching. We could sneak into the playoffs. We talked about it. If, if we can stay healthy, Kevin Love and Thompson uh, play the way that we, we think they're capable of playing, 
we did we did squeeze into playoffs. Yeah, big game uh, Monday night now with uh, with the, with the Bucks. We'll see how that shakes Bloody, out. Yep, they, I'm uh, excited to see how uh, how they scheme up how to stop Giannis. Yeah, that should be nice. I would throw it. If, I mean, you're probably gonna throw Jetty Osmond at him. You might even throw Kevin Porter Jr. at him. Have Delhi bother him a little bit, um, and then just have a lot of help inside. And this your rotation has to be great. You have to basically build a wall, build a blazing wall. If you remember that, you gotta build a freaking wall. If you guys remember that, uh, Jeff and Jundy, uh, little little mic'd up moment against LeBron in the, I think it was so 07, 07. Oh, against uh, the Magic. Oh, so good. Yeah, either Magic or Piston. I think he, he coached both of them. So the, when is the Magic? It could, yeah, in that. You gotta build a freaking wall. 07, I think ten. It, it could have been in that area, but um, classic, we, we might classic even, thing. We might even uh, put that link below as well. Love it. Again, huge game here against the Bucks. Really excited to see what these Cavs continue to do and what John Beeline continues to do with this team. We'll see what uh, what, what shakes out on uh, on Monday night, and we'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday. Monday, but, Monday. Mon- uh, no. Oh, today is, is Monday. This is Monday's podcast, yeah. bro. So we'll talk to you guys on, on Wednesday. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. to you Wednesday. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Anyways, my name is Mike. And I'm Tim, the co-host. And remember, in Cleveland, everything is earned. <laughs>